Hi, and welcome to the People of Aquaponics, where we get to know the thought leaders of the aquaponic industry. Uh, my name is John. I'm the CEO here at Aquaponics AI, and today we're fortunate to have Joe Pate. Um, he's a, I mean, every time I talk to this guy, he's got like 200 more research papers that he's categorized and dissected and put in his library, and it's, it's impressive. And he's worked on commercial farms in the research field, and he's an advisor for the Aquaponics Association, and he just recently... Um, did started up his own company called Regen Aquaculture. Um, and he just did a recent presentation on oxygen reduction potential and everyone's been loving it. So uh, we love Joe and yeah, Joe, welcome. And thanks for joining today. Thanks, John, for having me. I'm uh, happy to be here. So Regen Aquaculture, tell us a little bit about that. What are you doing? What What's going on at Regen? Yeah, so um at Region Aquaculture, the kind of the sole focus or one of the main focuses of the of the group is working with farmers to help them learn how to run their systems better. You know, I, I spent a lot of time designing and helping build systems. And I kind of found that um, while I'm, I'm really good at the engineering and, and side of things, just because I have a knack for it, um, it didn't really, you know, satisfy me, um, which you know, more of my interest is working with people and helping them learn things and testing out new things and, and stuff like that. So um, what we focus on is working with farmers to improve their operations. And then um, I also work with other third-party consultants to tackle things like finances and marketing and uh, human resources, you know, side of uh, the farm and kind of, you know, do what we can to, to make them successful. Who are you trying to kind of tailor your services towards? Is it more the small commercial, large, uh, maybe a home grower? Yeah, you know, I think, um, you know, I don't like to box myself into anything, but predominantly I think the biggest uh, area for growth that I would hope to see in the future is going to be with small home producers or small producers. Um, so maybe you know, less than 10,000 square feet here in the U.S. or something along those lines, um, give or take some, you know, depending on the area and what's right for it. But uh, I personally want to see a lot more of those small farms grow because I think, uh, you know, if we talk about food sovereignty and having, you know, access to food equally around places, then um, we need more, you know, decentralized um, food systems uh, around, you know, the world, um, including here in the U.S., yeah, completely. I love that. I think it's necessary to see the kind of urban ag and peri-urban type stuff really pick up. Um, how do you see kind of regen aquaculture kind of pushing the envelope there? And where do you guys operate out of? Uh, so we operate out of Kentucky um, right now, but we're pretty mobile. Um, you know, this, uh, this month alone, I've got two installs and then going down to check out a third farm that's uh, getting built and, uh, you know, there are more farmers on, on starting up with their operations. And so learning on that side. Um, but um, in terms of where we fit in, you know, the methods that I kind of look at aren't necessarily um, this, the run of the mill. You know, I am a big proponent of trying to um, utilize resources that we have locally and finding ways to make them um, you know, beneficial in the system, whether that's, you know, taking one waste product and, and, you know, processing that in a way that we can add it back into the system 
or maybe we're taking that waste product and we're looking for uh, potential revenue streams out of it, you know, to other ag industries, maybe not just including aquaponics. Um, but uh, so in those lines, along those lines, you know, we apply a lot of foliar sprays um, and things like that and focus on really growing healthier plants. So that way, you know, we can grow healthier food for people and, uh, you know, um, there's a lot that goes into that. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> What so say there's a farmer, I don't know, out of state and they're looking to start up their small farm. What's kind of regions um, methodology for kind of going in there and how would you differentiate yourself from, say, someone else in the area um, or uh, what's kind of your the, the passion behind regen that would make it valuable to a small farmer in a different location? Yeah, I, well, part of the passion is, you know, you know, working with farmers and wanting them to be successful. You know, I, I want aquaponics to succeed. And even outside of aquaponics, um, I have a lot of experience in soil work. My mom's a horticulturist. So I grew up working with plants and soil. And, um, you know, I, I want to see agriculture as a whole grow and regenerative ag, um, as well as regenerative aquaculture, where we're starting to look at, you know, how do we grow our own food sources? And how do we um, you know, bring that onto the farm. Uh, where we start out with farmers is it tends to be a simple questionnaire, you know, get an idea of what kind of their biggest issues are, what they feel their issues are, um, what's holding them back from, you know, achieving what they want to achieve and, and those kind of things. Um, you know, sometimes uh, specific questions, sometimes more broad questions and just get an idea of the person. Um, and then, uh, you know, from there, we the best way to, if it's an operating farm to kind of start out is that we go in there and we kind of do like a, a full farm audit or, you know, an audit of different sections of the farm and kind of um, review how operations are going, see what it's like on the day to day. Um, it, you know, if they're doing, you know, they're going through the checklist and kind of doing the things that, you know, might, it might take to be successful as a farmer, you know, taking data points and, you know, having some type of, uh, um, the logs, you know, behind all the food safety and traceability side of things and making sure the fish are actually fed when they were supposed to be. And, you know, the pH is getting uh, based up the way it should, you know, because it's easy to kind of let these things slip, you know? Um, so, uh, yeah. You mentioned using a lot of the kind of local agricultural byproducts. What's kind of the most surprising or the most useful uh, byproduct that you've encountered that is applicable to aquaponics? Um, so, well, uh, the most surprising and really fun that I would say, and I don't know, I wouldn't say this is maybe necessarily applicable to aquaponics, but um, it has to do with aquaponics. And that is uh, taking the dead fish, um, especially if you lose fish and it's pretty close uh, to, you know, them, dying and they're still fresh and things like that, I'll take and I'll ferment a lot of those fish. And, you know, and I've, I've taught farmers how to do that. Um, and when you ferment it, you know, you can do a lot of different methods. Some you can turn into a fresh hydrolysate or something like that. I do a little bit more uh, aerobic fermentation to just um, focus more on getting amino acids out of it. And, uh, you know, it, just a little bit different micro microbial profile when you break it down. Um, and so, uh, 
you know, I think that's super valuable. I mean, it, when you dilute it down, um, you know, 20 fish might make you a couple gallons and uh, a gallon of the fertilizer can be diluted in a one to a thousand ratio. So, you know, one gallon of that turns into a thousand gallons of fertilizer for uh, your fields outside. And it's, you know, a, a very nitrogen rich um, bioavailable form because it's not in, you know, it's in a, an amino acid form, which plants can take up directly and microbes and things like that. Um, and so that's a very powerful one that has quite a bit of uh, economic potential um, in it, I think. Um, and, you know, I've got one farm, they just, I think they've got about 35 or 45 gallons. They had a big fish die off and, and fermented, you know, a few hundred fish or, you know, uh, I don't know exact many, but um, it came and out. they fed the nation with it. <laughs> Yeah, now they've got this, and now they they have a you know, small two acre plot next to their greenhouse, and now they're applying it on that. So, um, and testing now with some other farmers in the local area. So that's a pretty powerful one. Um, I think there are some other ones that you know are going to be really important in the future that I am not necessarily an expert in yet, um, and that's like looking at uh, biomass waste. You know, the the leftover leafy greens or stuff that comes out that's inedible, uh, the roots you know, things like that. How do we take that, maybe process it anaerobically and then aerobically, or, you know, there's a million different ways to process these things and then uh, getting those nutrients back out of them. So that way we can resupply them to the aquaponic system and, uh, you know, reduce our, our footprint overall, you know, the amount going in. Um, and so, uh, I, you know, I think that's a pretty good thing. I love it. So you you have been known for kind of your research and you're active on the forums and everything. Um, but I think really, I'd love to hear more about Joe Pate, um, kind of who you are. How did you get to become such a aqua, aquaponic aquaculture enthusiast? Yeah, um, I mean, it's kind of started out when I was in high school. I got interested in uh, growing algae fuel um, for fertilizer. And uh, also I was looking at it, growing it for like biofuels and pharmaceuticals. I had all these ideas. Um, and uh, at the time I learned that people actually got paid to remove uh, some of the algae blooms from the river that are, you know, it's caused by excess fertilizers and runoff and eutrophication that occurs in our, in our riverways. And I, uh, I, you know, developed this plan. I was like, oh, I'm going to harvest it from the ocean or from the riverways. Then I'm going to grow fish to grow more. And, uh, and at the time, I didn't really know anything about aquaculture or aquaponics. I, I don't think I'd ever heard either word. Um, my dad used to be a fisherman and uh, my, you know, my mom worked with plants. So it's almost <laughs> kind of natural. Um, but uh, I, learned about it a little bit in college, got interested. Um, my college paid for me to go take a workshop with uh, Charlie Schultz, who, you know, is a pretty uh, well-known name in the industry. And um, when I saw what uh, Kentucky State University was where that workshop was, and when I saw kind of what equipment they had available and the, and the funding for research, I, I jumped ship, I changed colleges, and I, I started working right away for the aquaculture division. Um, and, and, you know, it wasn't really something that said aha to me that I want to do this. It was more just like, um, this, this is it, you know, <laughs> this is what I love. Uh, one, working with animals and, and, you know, fish were something that I hadn't had experience with besides, you know, fishing in a lake or a river or something like that. But um, I, uh, 
I fell in love with raising them. I mean, you, you know, know by working on the farm, seeing them move around, you just, you know, it's, it's so great. And, uh, and then growing plants. And at the time I was doing research studies, which I'm a big nerd. I love reading and, you know, um, just kind of thinking about things, you know, pushing kind of the boundaries sometimes and, and you know, having fun with ideas. Um, but um I, uh, yeah, started doing research, and uh, at the time, we, we set up a small greenhouse that I think was about 23 by 40, um, and so I built, you know, my first system there, and then rebuilt it another two times, you know, after learning how to do it better, and having solids build up, and all of the troubles, you know, you go through it when you're starting out, um, especially if, you know, you don't have training or whatnot, um, and then I went and took a course in an engineering workshop by uh, Dr. James Edlin and Dr. Uh, Michael Timmons um, at Cornell University. And uh, I realized, I was like, oh, this is all the reasons why my system doesn't work. And so, you know, rebuilt it. And uh, the whole time was growing food for the local food uh, sh shelter, um, the men's shelter, and then some other ones that we would donate excess food to. Um, and so, you know, when you're doing those kind of things, it just like fills to the heart, you know, you're happy about what you're doing, you're excited about it. And, um, it kind of like paved the, the path for me to continue going forward, you know, and uh, at, at a certain point, you know, I knew how to run the systems, I knew the science, and then it only kind of, you know, kind of made sense for me to start trying to spread that information and help others learn it, you know, better um, than I do, you know, or, or also. And you said you rebuilt your system several times. Um, yeah. I'm curious, after all those iterations and all the systems that you've built now, do you kind of have a like, like an ideal system. I mean, you, you've dealt with brackish water. You've dealt with, you probably dealt with shrimp there in Kentucky state, uh, decoupled, um, integrated with larger permaculture practices. Like what's, what's your kind of, uh, uh, ideal aquaponic setup now? You know, um, the better you are at aquaponics or the more experience you have with it, the more flexibility you have with what you can do, you know? Um, so there might be some things that I would say that I might try out that I wouldn't recommend to somebody, you know, beginning um, or something like that. But I think when it comes down to it in terms of um, a go-to design, I would say no, maybe on some things, um, but it's really situational to the area. You know, what are you trying to grow? What's your purpose? You know, if uh, you're a small farm and you're, you know, had doing a CSA model, well, now you need some variety in there. And uh, if you're in a humid area or, you know, an area that gets quite a bit of rainfall or something like that, then, um, you know, a lot of times you can also grow outside in soil, you know, so maybe you're doing a greenhouse inside that's focusing on leafy greens and herbs and you're, you know, growing your fruits outdoors. Um, now, say if you're in an arid region and you wanted that CSA type model, um, the, the, you know, the nutrient or the water dynamics don't quite work out right, you know, trying to grow into that arid environment. So then it makes sense. Well, now I might do some media beds or some wicking beds along with my DWC inside, you know, and, and you can, and, you know, you design it based on kind of the needs of the, of what the market is really is what I, I tend to recommend. You know, you want to grow what you can sell, you know, it's not, it's not a matter of what you can grow. It's a matter of what you can sell. And so, um, you know, I'm pretty flexible for myself. Um, I, you know, if I had a farm, I would do mostly probably DWC, you know, if, if my market depended on it. Um, and then maybe some other stuff, 
um, you know, microgreens, maybe some media beds, maybe some wicking on uh, a small portion, but, you know, lettuce goes bad quick, basil goes bad quick, you know, these things that, uh, you know, they don't have a lot long of a shelf life and uh, our bodies are starving for them. You know, once you see people get some of that fresh food, you don't realize you've been missing it. You know, you don't um, realize what what good lettuce tastes like. And uh, there's a farm I work with in Canada. He just sent me a picture uh, one of his clients where um, he has like a, a giant, she, had, she has a giant romaine head of lettuce and then the romaine she got from the store. And it's a third of the size, you know, no color, no flavor in it. And it, you know, it becomes a kind of a, a no brainer once you start tasting it and your body is like, whoa, this is what, the salads to taste like lettuce, you know, I, I don't, you know, eat a lot of uh, like vinaigrettes or dressings or nothing like that on my salad, it, just because it has that natural flavor, you know, um, which, yeah. Um, so I, I'd probably focus on growing that stuff. And then um, also I'm a big proponent that if you are in a wetter region and you have the ability to, you know, utilize your land outside, I think we, um, you know, as part as farmers is we're stewards of the earth, right? And, uh, you know, we have to um, take care of, of our area, of our space. And, you know, if, you're, if you have a two acre, say, plot of land and you're only taking care of the 3000 square foot greenhouse, well, you're not really doing justice to the earth, you know, or what you could be doing to the environment. Even if you're not growing, maybe you're doing wildflowers for, you know, butterfly repopulation or pollinator, you know, food or something like that. I, I, you know, but you could take that water and use it outside on your fields from the aquaponic system if you sized it right and all of those things. And so I'm, I'm, I'm big at looking towards, you know, how do we combine more aquaculture with large scale ag and more soil-based agriculture and regenerative farming practices? Because I think um, there is a lot of disconnect there in both industries, which, you know, happens a lot in lots of industries, but, um, you know, I think uh, there's a lot of room where we start collaborating and, uh, you know, we're going to we're going to see so much growth over the next few years. It's going to be wild um, and really good for the earth. So I'm yeah. excited for it. <laughs> <laughs> so so let me ask you what just for some of our viewers really lay it out for them. Like, what's the benefit of having your ideal system that you just mentioned? So you have, you know, your greenhouse sitting on a three acre plot of land or something like that, for example, and you're doing, you know, maybe you're doing some sort of flowers outside for butterflies or you're doing some sort of soil farming in addition to your aquaponic system um, where you're growing greens or whatever. What would be the benefit to the kind of broader ecosystem there of having an aquaponic system or doing aquaponics? Uh, like in terms of economics, job creation, market shifts, kind of distributor, how it changes the di distributor mindset. Um, what what are the effects of actually doing this kind of next gen farming? Yeah, well, I, what you know, um, on the fish side of things, if you're looking at you know what kind of protein sources do we have going forward that are sustainably grown and are um, you know not going to take a lot of resources that might be needed elsewhere. And fish, you know, uh, checks a lot of those boxes. Um, fish, you know, has a low feed conversion ratio, so less than uh, two to one, you know, so two pounds of feed in per pound of fish gain. Um, and that, that drops even more. I've seen it drop to one to one, you know, on a really good system, mostly research. Um, sometimes, you know, real life farms aren't so 
meticulous about everything. And so they don't get quite as good numbers, but really good numbers. Um, the protein quality is really good. Our bodies, you know, love it in terms of what are, we need for amino acid profiles and things like that. Um, like most animals, fish can be, you know, their diet can be changed. So that way they're naturally kind of supplemented with extra omega threes and sixes and, and, you know, things like that, that we might need, um, healthy fatty, essential fatty acids. Um, you know, so there's a lot of benefits there. Uh, they're also, you know, some what a little bit easier, somewhat a little bit harder, you know, a terrestrial animal, you know, they have, you know, the natural earth to kind of to take care of them, you know, when an aquatic organism, you've got to do a lot of the work, but um, they don't run away on you. They, you know, you don't get your cow loose and across the field. <laughs> you got to go chase it down. Um, but they all stay right there pretty nicely. And, uh, you know, and harvesting is easy. Stick a net in, pull out 50 of them, 20 of them. <laughs> so uh, that's nice on that side of things. And then um, another benefit is uh, that, aquaponic water is full of microbial life. Um, you know, a, a lot of nitrifying bacteria, but also tons of organisms. And the farther, the more um, established your aquaponic system becomes, it starts to develop these keystone microbial species um, that, you know, uh, we see in nature. And sometimes that can take up to 15 years if you're looking at some things, um, you know, in an aquaponic system. Uh, so, um, when you're getting this microbial life build up and you're spraying that now on the soil, uh, what you, you know, when you start looking at it, and I don't know the exact number here, I think I've read, I don't know if this is accurate or if it changes, you know, based on who you're asking, but um, I've read that about 70% of all of the microbes that we see, you know, in uh, the aquatic and soil field, are, you know, in soil and in water are pretty much the same, you know, maybe cousins of each other, uh, slight variations. Um, but they're pretty much the same microbes. And, uh, you know, when you start realizing that, then you're like, okay, I'm taking this nitrifying bacteria and I'm applying it to a field. And then you start realizing, okay, now I'm actually getting some synergistic effect, you know, between that bacteria and nitrifying, you know, supplying nitrogen to the soil, which kind of helps rebuild it. And, uh, you know, if you're doing regenerative practices, you know, now you're really building a healthy microbiome for the soil. And that, you know, starts bringing back life, um, fungi and things like that start breaking down um, pollution in the soils. And so now you're remediating the soils. And in addition to that, you're creating food for, you know, the insects, um, you're cleaning the air, uh, you're increasing water filtration rate of the soils, you know, when it rains there and, you know, you're helping with droughts and helping replenish the aquifers, depending on where you're at, you know. And so you start getting all these like kind of compounding effects um, on it, which, you know, uh, you, you, they, they just start falling into place. You know, you don't really expect it a lot of times and we might not know all of it, but um, they just start dominoing. And, uh, and then on the reverse side is now you have this field that maybe, um, you know, I was talking with a farmer in Australia uh, just last night, actually, or maybe two days ago, um, who does some regenerative ag and soil and is starting up an aquaponics system. And, and, you know, then you start looking at, well, what can I grow here? Well, I can grow legumes maybe, or maybe I can grow something that um, grain, you know, uh, some type of food source out in the soil that now you can implement it into your aquaponics system. And now you can kind of create this circular, you know, food web on your farm. And, uh, you know, I, I, it's part of 
if we want a regenerative, you know, regen aquaculture, the region stands for regenerative um, and the, the parent company is regenerative ecosystems to that. But, you know, I think if we want to go towards this regenerative mindset, we have to learn how do we grow our own food? And, you know, that's something I, I'd like to tackle more in the future. I know you're pretty interested in it. And uh, I saw a Paul's talk the other day that you all had, and uh, it was wonderful. I, I, I thought it was really great. And then actually there was another individual, I think, um, with Red Sea um, aquaponics or something along those lines. Ryan Lafers, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, um, you know, I, I know that there's a lot of work that it, it sounded like they were doing with, um, you know, sustainable feeds and things like that. And, uh, you know, when you start look, you know, I think that's very important when you look at the overall, you know, end game, which is how do we get food sovereignty? How do we not depend on all these outside influences to make sure that we can grow food where we're at, you know, and uh, you have to grow your own food for your fish when, you, when it comes down to it. And so we got to start looking at ways to do that. What's your been, been your primary focus when researching? Like, and how did you decide that it was important? You know, I don't necessarily have a primary focus on researching and, you know, maybe that's good. Maybe that's bad. I, you know, the way I, I think the best way to learn things is to make connections a lot of times. And so when I'm reading stuff, maybe it's just like, I'm interested in it. Maybe I see something and I'm like, Oh, I want to learn more about that. But I think, um, you know, by expanding what you're learning about rather than focusing on one thing, yeah, then you start to being able to make connections more, you know? So if I, you know, I, I'm really interested in food safety and the microbiology of things. Um, but if I just kind of focused on that, then I wouldn't maybe understand the plant health side of things, right? And how oh, these microbes that, you know, if I'm going at it from a food safety point of view, maybe I, I just care about um, what's, you know, safe or not safe for humans. But, you know, unless I look at it in this broader scope, then I don't really think about how are these microbes affecting the plants and how are the plants affecting the microbes, you know? Um, you know, one thing we've learned now is that, you know, plants are actually farming microbes. They're, you know, they're not vegetarians. They're, they're, you know, they're eating those micro, those bacterias and things like that. Um, and so, um, you know, I try not to stick into any one category. Um, and, you know, really it's just whatever I find interesting at the moment or things I, I find that are going to be important in terms of, the biggest things in the future, I think one genetics is always really important. I, uh, I, I think that, um, we need to start looking at potentially starting, you know, more, uh, breeding programs for small farmers. And, you know, I know that gets a little difficult and isn't always an options. Um, but I think that a lot of our plants genetically have been, um, and there's some research to back this up. It's still developing stuff, but, um, have kind of lost some of their power because they've been genetically grown to uh, say become very well affected by mineral nutrient nutrition versus biological nutrition. And so sometimes when you look at uh, say uh, um, a newer variety versus maybe a heritage variety of crop, um, the heritage variety will have a, a significantly better reaction to microbial inoculation than you know, one of the newer grown crops because it's kind of lost that ability to communicate. Um, and that's partly due to, you know, breeding practices and stuff like that, that we didn't really know. So I think genetics on both the, the plant side and the fish side, you know, is a multi-billion dollar industry. So I think those are both going to be really important. And, you know, I'm, 
again, about trying to figure it out on the farm. Um, that isn't always the case. And so, you know, we got to work with what we can. Um, outside of that, nutrient dynamics, I think, are really important for me because, you know, a lot of the food that we grow in aquaponics, um, it, it grows really well. It looks really great. And nutritionally, it's, it's a really solid product. Um, but um, I think we can make it better, you know, when we look at uh, things like um, I'm forgetting the word right now, but basically biofortification of that food. So how do we, you know, biofortify that food, make it stronger, you know, include things that might normally not be included like iodine, selenium, silicon, you know, how do we get these things into the plant um, that aren't normally talked about? It may not be needed for the plant, but are, are important for the animal that eats it, you know, us or, you know, livestock or things like that. Um, and so, you know, I think that's a big important, um, combining soil and aquaculture, uh, you know, there's some really great work do, uh, being done right now. Um, I, I have a friend uh, who's doing a lot of research in this for waste treatment and improving um, waste uh, utilization of aquaponic systems. So how do we, you know, get all of the nutrients out of it um, and do that efficiently in a low cost manner, and then maybe get some byproducts out of it, you know, like methane and, and other things like that, depending on how we're processing these goods. Um, so I think there's a lot of places for us to grow, but, um, you know, I think a lot of those things I just mentioned, uh, the research is already being done in other fields. And so if we start, you know, um, working with those other researchers in those other fields, now we can start having those discussions. How does it relate? And, uh, you know, then we don't necessarily have to wait for it to be done in aquaponics um, because, you know, the, the plant functions pretty similar, whether it's, you know, in soil or, or in water. And so, you know, there are some things that we can learn to, that will just be true, you know, and some things will change, but, um, you know, you kind of get a feel for that as you go on. What would you say the biggest gaps are in research then? I mean, if you're talking about all these different uh, kind of what I appreciate about what you're saying is that you're, you're taking a multidisciplinary approach to understanding kind of a farm and the microbial life and the plant life and the fish life. And, um, and I think that's super necessary. And I think that gives you a unique stance to say this particular area needs more research. And so my question is more along the lines of where do you see there are gaps in research and there should be funding going towards this? Yeah. Um, well, I think there are gaps in research on the food safety side of things. You know, I'm a big proponent of adding probiotics into the system. Um, I did some research in this when I was in college. And um, unfortunately, the, you know, we presented on it. It was some, you know, pretty good information that we got, um, but it was incomplete, so to say, you know, it, the picture was yet to be painted. We just got the, we just got the palette ready, you know, <laughs> the brush strokes have to be drawn still. So, um, you know, some of our limitations there were having an enclosed environment that we could, you know, actually inoculate, um, you know, the systems with a foodborne pathogen to see how, you know, the probiotics would react with it. And so, you know, there's limitations there in terms of funding, um, you know, other limitations, you know, I think the biggest limitation, and it isn't necessarily what's not being researched, but it's um, the lack of communication between researchers. 
You know, I have friends who are researching stuff, you know, here in Kentucky or are, you know, um, Alabama, or maybe they're out West in Washington or they're, you know, in Brazil or all the, or Australia, all these different countries. Right. And a lot of times I, when I talk to them, they're working on similar stuff and I'm like, Oh, you should talk to this person, you know, and, and try to connect them with other researchers doing this, the same stuff, because, I found that, um, you know, when I was doing research, I would do a project and then learn someone else that I met at a conference, you know, in Germany or France or doing the same exact project, you know, or very similar one. And so um, I think we could not step on, you know, each other's toes and, um, you know, do a little more thorough job and just like spread in our reach uh, if we tackled more things and had more communication between the researchers. Now that said, I, I do realize there's some benefit in, in, in various people running the same research study to see if you get, you know, replicate results or the same, you know, results come out. And so, you know, there's some benefits on rep, and redoing studies and things like that. But um, that's one of the, my biggest things that I've talked about for years is uh, there's not enough communication between researchers in general and then also between researchers and farmers. Um, you know, there, what happens in the research industry doesn't always get correlated over to the, the actual industry, which is one of the biggest frustrations I had when I was doing research was, you know, we, we did all these cool things. We learned this, this awesome information, but we weren't, you know, seeing it implemented and um, weren't doing enough in my, in my book, in my, in my opinion, um, to, you know, get that information out to the farmer. Um, not that we didn't try, it's just, it's a hard to do, you know. Um, and so I think um, communication between all of those aspects is probably the biggest limitation in the industry right now, um, you know, or one of them, at least. Yeah, that's actually one of our biggest values is that people would have access to information. I mean, we're not trying to promote a, a particular method. I think we want people to choose a method that works for them and really run with it, but have access to that information. So um what, speaking of information, how about someone who's just starting off with a small farm? Um, what would be your, you know, initial advice to them getting started? Well, first, take a workshop. Um, you know, I often recommend that. Uh, and before you even do that, re maybe do some reading. Um, you know, I, I know you have you and um, Daniel have done a lot of work at taking the FAO manual and um, some other, you know, aquaponics manual type work and simplifying them and making them as like a quick kind of go through, click through um, kind of thing, which I, I've looked through uh, how you all did that. And I thought it was very clear, very great um, stuff. Um, you know, I think that is a very good starting point. Um, I think it's probably the best we have. You know, I, I, I will say that there are several things in the design part of the FAO manual that I don't agree with, um, you know, from a design standpoint, um, in terms of, you know, nutrient dynamics and sizing the system and things like that. Um, but I think it has enough good information that it gives you, it's the most combined amount of information that kind of gives you a broad scope of it that I think we have available right now. Um, and it's free, you know, you don't have to go pay for a book. It was written by a lot of, you know, really smart people. <laughs> and so a lot of great stuff in there. Um, you, and then taking a workshop with someone who, um, had, 
it depends on, you know, where you are. I, I tend to recommend taking a workshop from someone who's been around, you know, experienced, done things for a while, um, made a lot of mistakes, you know, um, because it's the best way to learn. Um, I, I will say that sometimes, you know, I, I realize it's not always feasible. And a lot of times, you know, if they can't, you know, if somewhere in another country that can't travel, maybe has limited funds, I try to, you know, if they can't find one, I try to look and say, do I know anybody in that area who I think, it, you know, is, it, is an expert in that area? You know, maybe they're an expert with the local materials. Maybe they're, you know, they really know what's available and whatnot. Maybe they don't know all the science the same way as, you know, other people might. And uh, they, you know, the designs are a little more um, low tech they still grow food. Right. And it, and it satisfies the need. And, you know, I don't think we all need to be super high tech systems. I think, you know, to be honest on, on a lot of scales, I look more towards semi-intensive systems rather than super intensive um, because I think they, you know, a lot of places where we need food are, are you know, a lot of these uh, developing countries. And um, when you talk about resources there, it doesn't always make sense to say, build this giant, you know, facility and putting all this money in when you could do a fraction of that. And you might see more loss in crops, but you could, you know, grow 15 times as much area. And, you know, even if you have 20% loss in crops, it doesn't matter. You have plenty of food, you know? And, and so getting familiar with someone in your area is really important, I think, that knows your local environment. Um, and if not, then, you know, go for someone who's an expert. I think there's several out there. Um, you know, which I can recommend if you want, you know, I, but um, I, um, you know, I think that's a great place and also gives you an opportunity to meet and ask somebody questions. Um, and then when you're starting out and, and actually working, you know, um, I'm a very big proponent of making connections in this industry. It's small enough that, uh, you know, I think that we should all be reaching out to each other. Joining the Aquaponics Association is a great um, thing you can do because then, you know, there's a lot of forms on there and a lot of help that you can reach out to, to other members. Um, and also some of the members are people like myself, you know, I've been in the industry for a while, you know, and so, um, we see that and, you know, we can jump in and throw some knowledge behind it, you know, and, uh, so things like that are good communicating with other growers, especially if you have any in your area, um, even maybe trying to get a few started in your area after you're going, you know, we got, we got to build a, a community um, to, to support each other, you know, and. Um, so you're basically saying that you're recruiting people to Kentucky or what? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I um, love Kentucky. Uh, it's one of the, it's, I think it's tied for my top prettiest States I've been to. Um, but um, the thing about Kentucky is, Right now, um, we only have one fish processor in the state, and so the um, depending on the scale of things, it makes it difficult for growth um, on the aquaculture side. Um, not that it can't be there, and small scale can be there. You know, if you're growing for uh, specific markets that say will take a whole fish, um, you know, without it being processed, which you know here in the U.S. is typically going to be Hispanic and Asian markets um, that you know prefer that. Um, but uh, maybe not here in Kentucky, but um, anywhere, you know, um, myself, I am probably going to be moving more towards an arid region. Uh, and the reason for that is, you know, um, 
I have this mindset that I want to help rebuild something, you know, and so what's, what's a better uh, place to start than somewhere where the ground is dry and barren, you know, or, or less inhabited. Um, and so that way you can start building that life again, you know, and uh, you know, you're welcome to come out to the Middle East anytime you want. So, <laughs> I- you know, I, uh, I'm, I'm getting my passport right now. So as soon as things are become less restricted, maybe I'll come visit. <laughs> Sounds good. Thanks, Joe. Hey, uh, where can people find out more about what you're doing and uh, follow you? Yeah. Um, so right now we're finishing uh, the website for the company. Mostly we've been working word of mouth, um, but um, the website will be done early March. Uh, and that's just going to be regionaquaculture.com. So keep up in tune for that. Uh, I'm pretty active on Facebook. Um, so you can search me on there, Joe Pate, um, or on LinkedIn, uh, also Instagram. You know, I, I try to keep active on those areas. Um, Aquaponics Association forms, you know, um, I'm a member on there. You can reach out. Uh, so pretty uh, direct to um, direct access to me right now, uh, if you're interested. Yeah.